everyone. I'm Manya. And I'm Natasha. And this is Avocados, Avocados. And our topic for today is about xenophobia. We decided to do this topic when we were in the Supreme Court and we were watching this case of a man who actually requested for payment of his fine through installments, to which the judge responded that only Singaporeans and PRs are granted that privilege. We didn't know this was like a thing and we were a bit shocked. We were like, is this xenophobic? And I think recently there was also like a case where people were like feeling that foreigners were being discriminated against with migrant workers. Yeah, migrant workers. They were required to apply for a visit pass when they had to visit locations such as I think Little India, Chinatown, Jurong East, and Geylang. But before this, Workers or any migrant workers who lived in dorms had to apply for exit passes if they wanted to go anywhere in the community. So it's actually like a step forward. It's a step forward, but I still think they it's should. It's not far enough. Yeah. So there were like mixed responses and like reactions to this. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at an Instagram post about this. One of the people in the comments said, read the article. And they stated only four locations, Geylang, Little India, Jurong East, and Chinatown on Sunday and public holidays to avoid crowding. The headline is discriminating. However, majority Singaporean people keep complaining about how migrant workers crowd the area, sit along orchard to picnic, and even leave litters lying, getting drunk in Little India, <laughs> getting Correct. drunk in Little India, and pick a fight among themselves. The government had to implement something in order to avoid fight and riots that happened in the past. <laughs> I think that shows Singaporeans' outlook on migrant workers itself. Yeah, no, this is, I feel like, the mindset of xenophobia. I think there was a very extreme generalization. <laughs> yeah, and there's like 1.4 million migrant workers, and most people that crowd the areas aren't just migrant workers, like mm-hmm. other races and so on. So if they really want to manage crowding mm-hmm. or fights and so on, it shouldn't just be applied to migrant workers. So there was another comment that was left on the Instagram post which said, we'll most probably get flamed for this, but I think there is a fundamental difference between unjust treatment versus preferential treatment. I think I can speak for most, if not all, that we Singaporeans will want preferential treatment over foreigners. Nobody is saying that there is an inequality, but blanketing this as a sign of system inequality is irrational because this particular form of inequality was established with national interests in mind. I suppose I understand why people think that way. Because like as Singaporeans, as PRs, we do a lot for our country. We go to NS, we, we grow up here, we go through the educational system here, and we feel like we deserve this treatment in comparison to foreigners who just get to fly over and experience like the same privileges that we experience same treatment exactly but i do think that there's a difference between giving people privileges versus discriminating because you can be given a privilege but if it's at the expense of another group of people i think that's when it becomes discrimination i think the idea of we shouldn't give them free passes or free exit passes to all communities because it could damage 
uh, hurt like security or peace in Singapore is kind of showing that migrant workers are affecting harmony in Singapore. Yeah. So sure. I don't think that's a privileged thing. I think that's blatant discrimination, categorizing people to being violent and so on. Yeah, I think like a privilege would maybe be like a higher chance of getting accepted into a university. Like that's a privilege. That's, that's well deserved, but. It's also not to the expense of anyone because they can totally apply to another university. I mean, it doesn't ruin their lives. While in comparison, if a foreigner isn't able to pay his or her fine via installments, they might be jailed because they don't pay their fine back in time. Yeah, because sometimes it's the only way for people. I think you and me have watched cases and we've seen that it's literally the only way that they can pay off yeah, any exactly. fines and debts or they end up in jail. But also, yeah, Singapore does have these may seem like systematic issues or issues are caused by uh, the mindset of Singaporeans. Yeah, for sure. And another thing that's very prominent in this whole issue of migrant workers or foreigners not being able to pay by in- installments is because like many of them have to take up like debts to come to Singapore. They have to borrow money. Like you don't just mm-hmm. end up here. They usually come from quite poor families trying to have a better life in Singapore and maybe having a better life for their children. So that means that they are coming from a generally lower socioeconomic status. And then they're facing more financial burden when coming to Singapore. Yeah. Some people think that, okay, like this person is committing a crime. Why should they be given like these favors? What do you think about that? In a court of law, everyone should be treated like equally because, you know, justice is blind and everyone should get a fair trial, fair stance at anything. Mm-hmm. So even when it comes to paying off debts, everyone should have basically the same mode of payment so that right. some people don't get disadvantaged in how they pay and then result in like jail time. Yeah, I think that just goes down to like the basic ideas of justice where everybody is given a fair chance. And a lot of people say how the death penalty targets foreigners and the national narrative is that it's not Singaporeans that are getting a death penalty, it's just foreigners and that's how Singaporeans support it because they think it's not affecting the people in Singapore, it's affecting the people that come to Singapore. Right, for sure. But that's just because Singapore doesn't release statistics or demographics on who like death row people are. The only thing Singapore releases is like the number. At the end of the year, it's like 13 people get the death penalty, you don't really know who they are. They could be Singaporeans, they could be foreigners. But Mm -hmm. the ones that are publicized are just foreigners, like Malaysian drug traffickers. For sure, yeah. Yeah, and speaking of that, you know, there was a story of like this black man that came to Singapore. So I knew beforehand that they did like profiling of people that come to Singapore to yeah. brief them on laws about drug dealing so that they're less likely to offend in Singapore. Yeah. But it's this very common pattern where black men that come to the airport or come to the borders of Singapore get stopped. Yeah. And then for an hour, they get briefed about. Do you know the drug laws in Singapore? Are mm-hmm. you carrying drugs to Singapore? Do you have enough money? Do you even have money to stay? Because they have this idea that they're just coming to Singapore to deal drugs or they're just poor. Oh, and I think that this is like quite a good time to talk about this topic, especially because Thailand, it recently legalized cannabis. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Many people were like, oh, this is a step towards the right direction. But others were also like, now these people are going to get interrogated before they come to Singapore. Oh, maybe they listen to our episode. That's <laughs> I think they can have four marijuana plants like at home, like this. Oh, they so they can like grow Personal. it recreationally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, so then yeah, but mm-hmm. that's the thing. Like you heard, like Malaysian drug traffickers are very common, 
but a lot of Malaysians don't get stopped at the airport. So I think it's a very common stereotype. There was another case of this like young teen black boy who came to Singapore to see his girlfriend who was white. And when yeah. he was questioned by officers, they were like, "Oh, why would a girl like that want to get involved with you?" Because <laughs> she was, because <laughs> she was white. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's quite typical in America. But... Yeah, even in Sing, I met. I guess because also like in Singapore, we're not very. We look at black people or people who are white. We look at them as like exotic, and we don't really know how to like treat them. Especially with black people, we have the stereotype that they're just poor. Who we? <laughs> Not, not, not me. <laughs> Definitely not me. <laughs> you are not involved in this conversation. The older generation or some people in Singapore who work may mistreat black people, white, not white people. A lot of people think that white people are like amazing. I don't know how to rephrase that. <laughs> But I think a lot of people think that black people have a common stereotype that they're poor. So. They get stopped out of the airport. They get questioned much more. The black man that I mentioned initially, when he went for his morning bus, because mm-hmm. he thought he was gonna miss it, it was just full of white people who said, "Oh, like they had no problem yeah. boarding," and they were like saying how racism probably doesn't exist in Singapore. And even the Indian driver told like the black man when they were getting off, "Yeah, I knew I had to wait longer for you." So it's a very common thing where like supposedly a lot of black people wait, get why? stopped. Why longer? Because like he would, he knew that he was gonna get stopped by the officers because he was black. Oh, oh my in. god, it's yeah. that common. People who work at air force or work like in the morning bus in airports maybe know that that's a real thing. I didn't know it was a real thing until I heard the story from this one black man. So I don't know if it's like a legit thing that happens constantly. Yeah. But if it's already happening, that's a bad thing. I agree. And xenophobia is not the only thing that happens in Singapore. All around the world, in America especially, ever since COVID, there's been Asian hate protests. There's been a lot of throwing around of words, saying like how the Chinese started the virus, the Wuhan virus, mm-hmm. saying how because of Chinese culture, everyone has to deal with the pandemic. Yeah. Instead of、um, addressing how maybe it's the issues in regulating. The food market that's in China or in Wuhan, yeah, and also the way Australia treats refugees, even though they're pretty liberal, because I would associate anti-immigration policies with right-wing parties. Yeah, that's why Singapore doesn't accept refugees as well, even though we're a very open economy, and I would say that Singapore does have enough resources. I'll、mm-hmm. get back to that later, and then so in Australia they do this thing where like refugees they send them to another country first. They call it detention centers in Papua New Guinea and like、oh, another country.、Aggressive. Yeah, where they basically house these refugees before they can get a legitimate visa in Australia, and they get like taught sometimes like the guards torture them or what? Yeah, there's been instances of abuse. There were stories of how like the workers sometimes would not give people enough food, like rooms in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. So what they would do is that a lot of people also cramped, and people felt like they weren't allowed to go to Australia, and then they had to like escape because they really are trying to get out of like worst possible conditions. Because when you're a refugee or when you're an asylum seeker, you're just trying to get to any country that's safe. Yeah. And you don't really like long wait times because you're really worried about your family and your own status. Yeah. Especially with you know the Ukraine war, 
Ukrainians are like the largest refugee applicant group so far in the UK. Right. Like there's over fourteen hundred, sorry, fourteen thousand uh, pending asylum applications, and around four to seven million are fleeing from Ukraine, yeah. including Ukrainians and non-Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. And what's worse is that even non-Ukrainians face the most amount of like xenophobia, like when they're trying to board buses in Ukraine to get out of the country. Sometimes they're denied. They cannot seek bomb shelters at all. Yeah. So all around the world, if you're a refugee, you tend to experience a lot of xenophobia and a lot of racism. But they're also like really good, especially if you look at EU countries. They do so a lot of things. In the airports, there are security officers that help wheel old people, help carry babies. There are even like in Poland, they set up huge areas with like new homes built, new wallpaper, new services, food. And there's like countries that allow refugees to come in without a visa at all, mm-hmm. and they don't have to go through security checks or anything. So even though EU is amazing, and they also let refugees join back the communities, mm-hmm. like the old, um, if they have friends that are living in the EU, they can ask them for like help and shelter. Yeah. Other countries, even if you have relatives in that country and you're trying to seek refugees, it doesn't matter. You need to have proper application. You need to show worthiness. Worthiness. Yeah, to being a part of the country or joining like the population, and you know even getting on certain shores is hard because mm-hmm. you know there are boat people where that's the term they use. I think it's bad, but there's like refugees that come in boats and they get denied at the shores because they're like in Australia they consider them as unlawful non-citizens. Right. When they come onto shores, even though they're literally running from like political warfare or like issues in other countries when yeah. they come onto the shores they're already labeled as like illegal but there are a lot of eu countries like poland hungary and yeah. austria that don't really have a very good history with keeping refugees sometimes they really put in a lot of time to making sure these refugees have enough food and shelter don't really get abused at the border <laughs> but i love how that's like the baseline like they just don't get abused don't get abused but there are really they do offer a lot of services to them and let them roam around EU countries without a visa sometimes. They have a temporary protection service yeah. where they don't have to seek asylum because when you seek asylum, sometimes there are like, you can wait for like months mm-hmm. and you don't get it. And like there's like 2,000, over 2,000 like applicants and then maybe 100 of them get accepted. Oh. So you can ask for temporary protection in like EU countries, especially the UK. But at the same time, they do things where it's like they house immigrants or refugees in very terrible, inhumane conditions. Mm-hmm. Don't even look at the EU. You can look at like America. They do a very similar thing where they, during the Obama administration, even Biden administration, there's like a lot of controversy how they kept kids in cages. What? Yeah, because they couldn't house people well, even though there was a lot of immigrants coming into the country. And I would think America has a lot of resources. They would put kids in like really inhumane, like literally cages of bars, because they didn't have enough like places to house them, or they didn't have enough resources to house. So them. they housed them in a cage. Yeah, in, ca- in cages, like bars and stuff. And what's you and America? They have this department. It's the ICE department, where they look at all the illegal immigrants that live in America currently. And some of them who live in America for like 50 years, later on the ICE like find out that they came to the country illegally. And that's not even their fault. Sometimes it's because of like free trade agreements in the past or because they were fleeing from war in the past that they eventually came to America and 
was able to house a family with or without a visa. Mm-hmm. And after 50 years later, ICE literally deport them back to their home country after they've had a family and they had a life in America. But I mean, why are they coming into America mm-hmm. without like a proper visa? Yeah. Like, after 50 years, like you should probably get that. No, because after 50 years, when they find out that you've been living in America without a visa, that's illegal, and they import you back. Oh, like any period of time you've been any period of without time. a visa. Yeah, okay. it's illegal, and they import you back. So they could get it like after, and they would still get deported? Yeah, and sometimes they get deported because the security guards will say, or the guards at the border will say that their papers are insufficient, because oftentimes when they are leaving, let's say they leave, Mexico, they leave Guatemala, they leave like countries uh, outside of America and they try to seek asylum. It's very different in different areas mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't have the documents because of like the situation they're running from. It's too hasty and they cannot supply any legal documents at the time mm-hmm. and they won't inform beforehand because they don't have communication with security borders Yeah, and it always changes supposedly. So you were talking about refugees just now. Why don't you think that Singapore accepts them? Actually, Especially since like the economy is like the free market or something, right? Yeah, it's an open economy. You know, Singapore is actually topped in the world under the index, uh, index for economic freedom. We're literally the highest. Really? Yeah, we're the highest in the world, and as of twenty twenty two, and they say it's because you know Singapore is a very densely populated area. We cannot house refugees. Uh, because we also don't have enough resources and there's not enough land space. Oh, I asked the Minister of Education this question. Yeah. And I'm going to read it out, not as a flex, but I'm still reading it out. <laughs> I had to stand there. This was a very long question because I gave info and I stood there at the mic for like a minute. Yeah. And I remember uh, after I said my question, the lady was like, um, make sure that your questions are concise and not too long yeah but i think mine was concise (laughs) let's see you talked about so the minister so at the seminar like the minister explained basically um he was giving a whole history about the 1970s and like uh, conflicts in vietnam and how singapore helps you know people in conflicts of war and stuff Mm -hmm. so i was like you talked about the 1970s and the conflict in vietnam I know that at that time, Singapore accepted Indo-Chinese refugees with a lot of resistance. And our 90-day policy for a third country to accept these refugees, otherwise they will be sent back to their home country, led to protests. And now Singapore doesn't accept refugees at all. And rejected the refugees from Bangladesh and Burma due to this argument of high population density. But our population has grown by 3.3 million since since 1978. So mm-hmm. Singapore could house the inflow of immigrants and the growth of our population, but didn't house refugees. Why do you think so, and do you think Singapore should offer asylum now? Yeah. He said, um, he was like, I think we should take a vote on whether we should accept refugees. <laughs> Seriously? Lot, yeah. A lot of like people, right then and there? Yeah, I went to sit down and he asked people, who do you think? That is so... <laughs> who do you think? <laughs> oh my god. I was like, am I wrong? <laughs> He was like, who do you think should accept refugees? Mm-hmm. But obviously, people supported me. A lot oh, of people raised oh, their okay, hands. Okay. And then, like more, uh, more people raised their hands and put it down? I think so. I was too busy shaking. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, because everyone was like, it was a good question. Okay. So, 
Then he was like, yeah, those resources, and again, our age, um, our population is very dense. We have to look to our national interests first. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. What, natu- what national interests? Like, um, resources should go to, like, our population first rather than refugees. I mean, it's not about first or second. Like, you can have the resources going to them second, but, like, you should still let them in. I think, yeah, but the, his main thing was, like, Singaporeans, we don't have enough resources to house more than our population. Is that true? Actually, no, because you look at Singapore's budget, yeah. and you look at the resources we have, it's much more than other countries, because of how, like, free our economy is. We have, and like like I said, our population literally grew by 3.3 million, Yeah. because of, like, the, I don't know, it was the white, uh, white paper rally thing or a white paper population thing where they tried to increase our population by double since the 1970s and it worked and yeah no and they, they're like constantly like encouraging people to have kids and stuff because yeah. the birth rate in Singapore is like extremely low exactly and he so then I started you know thinking because I mentioned how like in the 1970s we did accept Vietnamese like there was a Vietnamese a conflict in Vietnam and yeah. we did accept Vietnamese refugees we had a whole Vietnam refugee camp yeah. but because of this 90-day policy where we had to send them back if another country wasn't going to accept them mm-hmm. after 90 days then a lot of them started protesting like you cannot force us back to our country and stuff like that oh, so wow. that's actually I would think the real reason but uh, I was thinking you know there shouldn't there shouldn't be a reason for why we don't accept refugees but then one of my friends, like um, another JC2 that was a part of my team, yeah. she mentioned how if Singapore tried to house all these refugees, likely we would not put them in good conditions. Oh. The same thing would happen where they would protest. And you know how in America, like I said, they kept kids in cages? Yeah. So we they don't we shouldn't have like a situation like that where we ended up mistreating refugees instead of helping them but would we be mistreating them because of the lack of resources or just like this general idea that they're inferior to us i think it's mainly because singapore uh, the government will look less to housing them and will look more into our national interests which is like it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning like preferential treatment oh yeah that's true so I guess it depends because I would think that in America they wouldn't want to mistreat refugees but it just ended up happening because they couldn't oversee um, how we treated them. But America is a huge, cu- a huge country as well. Putting policies forth is very hard. Yeah. Singapore is a small country. I feel like if you wanted to house refugees, it, was, it would be easier to control the crowd and manage who comes to our shores. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want a thing where like so many people love Singapore's policies to the point where so many refugees come and then it becomes way too overwhelming for our system to kind of process so i can see how it can go bad but we also haven't tried it so you don't know yeah exactly this is just like hypothesizing what could possibly happen exactly and even in like eu countries you look at like denmark they usually have a really good uh, immigration policies but recently um they are offering these like offshore policies where if you come into Denmark on like a boat or something like that, mm-hmm. then um, they will ask another country to see if they'll like accept you first. And this led to a lot of protests because a lot of people were like detained. Oh. And a lot of people are starting to feel like all around the world, even though they're accepting Ukrainians more like, there was a UN expert who did mention about 
mm-hmm. a lot of abuse that happen for yeah. Ukrainians when they're like refugees or seeking asylum mm-hmm. but they also mentioned how you know other countries are really trying their best to let Ukrainians come into their country with open arms EU countries UK countries yeah. okay so now we're going to cut to the story we posted on our Instagram and basically what we asked people was um, do you know any xenophobic laws in your country and most people said no which is honestly a great thing like um maybe they just don't know yes (laughs) it could be that or or they could just not know of any because they don't exist we're gonna be optimistic about this one true um so 33 percent said yes and 67 percent said no and one of the people that responded so one of the people that responded to our story was damien who basically talked about the Zero Tolerance for Barbaric Practices Act, which is a federal statute that basically singles out groups and bans practices that would already be banned in Canada, such as child marriage, female genital mutilation, etc. Yeah, I heard about this law and I honestly didn't think it came from Canada, because Canada usually has really good refugee uh, policies. Mm -hmm. So they do this thing where it's like uh, a lot of religious groups a lot of minority groups mm-hmm. are associated with having like domestic abuse or domestic violence so yeah. like especially there was this muslim family mm-hmm. that uh supposedly the father got like a really long term in jail or long term imprisonment uh for domestic abuse which was far more than like any other groups so here's the thing where they only target minority or ethnic groups mm-hmm. they don't really target the general like white or indigenous population in Canada Mm -hmm. and what's even worse is that there was like a period of time where over 1.4 million Mm -hmm. ethnic women or women of minority were like killed or were going through like uh, abusive or were domestic domestic abuse victims Mm -hmm. and they ignore that completely and never use this law so it's a very stereotypical thing where they say this law was used only to target ethnic communities or ethnic families and not really address the whole issue of domestic abuse or abuse against women in Canada. So what makes this xenophobic? Because it only yeah, it only targeted ethnic groups. Like ethnic groups, the women. Uh, but that's a good thing because it's standing up for obviously you shouldn't do barbaric things yeah but there are like religious uh practices for example like polygamy was a thing where they only target polygamy in like muslim households and they never looked at like other cases even though it it did help like those ethnic groups they are trying to bring up the narrative that only foreigners are committing these issues that's why they have this act in place oh so you're saying like this act should be practiced but more emphasis should be put on groups that are outside of the minority yeah because yeah because a lot of judges say like oh we're not gonna use this we're only gonna use it for like foreigners that are coming in and practicing these barbaric issues although it's supposed to help oh so you're basically saying that they're creating this thing stigma that these foreigners will like bring in like barbaric yeah things into the country they have barbaric practices that's why like a lot of ethnic or like uh yeah a lot of ethnic families in canada have a lot of like checks mm-hmm. social checks and everything yeah and a lot of like officers tend to like go to their houses to check what's everything how everything's going 
uh, compared to like other white families in Canada. Right. So it seems like it's just bringing up a stereotype rather than addressing domestic abuse or like any abuse towards women in general. Right. Okay. And I think child marriages also, because you know there's this thing, FLDS, that was happening in America, not related to Canada, where like they would practice polygamy, and you know, one man would have like thousands, not thousands, would have like 20 wives, 23 wives. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if that issue was in Canada, they were less likely to use this act, they would try to, like in America, what they did, they gave them literally a whole like area where they could live in, yeah. where policemen would literally make sure that reporters and other like police officers wouldn't come in to arrest people oh it was like short creek it was like a documentary so i feel like if the same situation happened in canada Mm -hmm. this act wouldn't be useful because it seems to just target foreigners i see yeah so it seems like we've run out of time and we're really sorry if we couldn't feature your responses please do continue putting them in because we will try and feature every single one um I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion for today. Um, Let us know what you think by emailing us um, at avogadosavocados at gmail.com and also follow us at avogadosavocados on Instagram. And thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye!